Welcome everyone to the 76th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Cozella here with Nick Tartaglia. What's up, Nick, man? are you sweating over there, man? What's going on? <laughs> I'm actually not bad. It's in the shade where I'm good. The moment you get that exposure, like I've got a wind funnel going on, so I've got some like it feels good. I got a nice breeze going on, but the moment you don't, the humidity is killing me here. I mean, we're not all like uh, Floridian or, you know, Canadians seem to find a way to always complain about whether it being too hot or too cold. Too cold. Right? The yeah, same way I... that investors are complaining about that their portfolios are down all the time, right? <laughs> they went from thinking the markets only go up to not knowing what the markets only go down now or when do I buy or... We don't know what's ultimately going to happen, but I think the macro story is really driving what's happening, right? We talked yeah. about psychology last time. I totally butchered the intro, by the way. This is episode 74. I should get <laughs> tap in the face, so I apologize for that. Um, that's the heat is getting to us. There's no question yeah. about that. But, um, you know, the, the biggest thing right now that I've been getting in terms of like questions is when do you think resources and gold and, and mm-hmm. silver are going to kind of have their have their you know, claim to fame, right? And everyone's like, why would you buy gold? It's just a shiny rock. Or why would mm-hmm. you buy silver? There's another area that it's being neglected right now. And it's like these particular resources, you know, gases in particular that have mm-hmm. slowly become uh, very needed in this shifting world of, you know, economic chaos, right? So yeah. I don't know what else is going to happen. I don't know what you have to say about that, Nick. No, honestly, though, it's like at the end of the day, I mean, I've had more people talk to me about, uh, like a lot of people that I wanted to be buying apartments or homes, they've been asking me more curious, like about things like, do you think that I should still be buying or should I be waiting things out? People are still eager to purchase, even though, because the thing is a lot of, I find a lot of people can't contextualize the market. They can't contextualize the parameters by which they're looking at market cycles. So they're blindsided. They don't know if, does it feel right to buy something? Or does it not feel right? It's like getting in a relationship and you don't know the person. So you don't know should I keep going with it or should I waste my time or should I just get out of it right now? But if I do, then I missed out on something great. I find that have that, there's a big conflict. And then when you're looking at this whole uh, commodity cycle and stuff like that, people are like, but it's not happening. It's like, you got to be patient. One, the, the mainstream still has an entirely different perspective as to what might actually happen. And secondly, when you look at the politics, Europe, Canada, United States, China, Africa, they still all want to build out. And to build out their infrastructure, what do they need? They need commodities. Commodities still have its role. Whether the market's going to feed it or the government's going to feed it, one way or another, that's the play they're going to play. And if we go back to the Keynesian principles, if we go into a recession and then we go into a depression and then you have unemployment collapsing, what are they going to do? They're going to say, we're going to create jobs. How are they going to create jobs? This is an episode we had back in the day. Remember about infrastructure? They're going to go focus on infrastructure. And again, infrastructure is what? It's all commodities. So one way or another, I do not see it not happening. I, it's going to happen some way or shape. I think the writing's on the wall. Uh, good segue to uh, a gentleman who's with us here today, um, who is a former uh, portfolio manager, I should say, an uh, investment advisor. But um, you know, without further ado, uh, this gentleman was born into a family that lived and breathed the financial industry. Uh, and many of his dinners, discussions, and family meals were talked about the markets, wealth accumulation, estate planning, tax strategies, new products and services for companies and corporations. I mean, that, that's probably the most important conversations that people need to be having right now. He graduated Ridley College, obtained his Bachelor's of Arts from the University of Western Ontario. Uh, and both those schools allowed him to build long lasting relationships with people around the world and gave him a really good global perspective. He began his investment advisor career in Calgary 
as an advisor at Standard Life, but then branched out into stocks, bonds, derivative products, uh, and took his book to Merrill Lynch. Uh, Rip Merrill Lynch, by the way. Um, the focus was on providing you know, high performance structured strategies for his clients. And now he is currently the market mindset. He's the president and CEO of that company. Welcome to the new gen mindset podcast, Andrew O'Donnell. Hey guys, it's great to be here. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for the big intro and uh, the topic. Very excited to chat with you guys. Well, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I know that the stampede last week was probably the talk of the town. Um, everyone seems to be coming back from there. But uh, just tell our listeners real quickly, you know, how did you get started? Uh, what brought you to where you're at today, particularly running your own ship? With, What's uh, your story? What's your story? Yeah, well, my story is pretty complex and dark and exciting. It's a little bit of everything, but <laughs> we'll run just like it. markets. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, there's a great depression as well as like <laughs> lots of wins. <laughs> but it's it is it's quite a story. Um, and uh, when you talk about like the family dinners on Sundays and stuff, that was it was great because it was that family unit was so important. So for some people, they think that's the most painful thing to have to talk about finance all the time, but. It was uh, a real blessing because it opened up uh, opportunities and ideas, you know, to, that uh, n normally other people may not even have an opportunity to learn about. And mm -hmm. uh, there's pr plenty of perspectives when you're talking about that because it involves politics, involves everything. And uh, it was very lucky you know, to have that. And it, and it just showed that, I mean, the, the interest of having influence, I suppose, uh, a lot of that comes from the financial sector. And uh, I always enjoyed that. And, you know, certainly going to, uh, the private school I went to, you know, I joined like the stock market club when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, that was always a big thrust there of the, the financial markets. And of course, a lot of friends worked at Goldman Sachs and AB and AMRO and JP Morgan and all that wonderful stuff. And that kind of um, relationship of money and uh, how the world goes around, you know, kind of stuck with me. And uh, this kind of the education I got at Merrill was was I mean incredible was very important, uh, but ultimately that kind of major company uh, wasn't really the right fit for someone like me. Um, it was it was wonderful, like I said, but um, I'm not really a corporate guy. Like I like to do my own thing. I like to to take what I learned and apply it the way I want. And it does. If you're a part of a huge machine like that, you have a role, and you can't be. You know, you're not going to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Like you're, you got to just do your role, do that part. And uh, they have a way of doing things. And for me, I, uh, I'm definitely an outside the box kind of thinker. And I, I kind of stumbled across uh, the whole, you know, mining slash energy kind of area um, a couple of years back because I was writing more commodities focused and was approached by a group that said, hey, would you look at the junior mining sector? And my first response, having come from Merrill, was absolutely not. Uh, no interest. You know, I'd known what the, the junior wildcat oil and gas sector had been like. Um, and you know, when you're at Merrill that you, you couldn't talk about any of that, that's stuff that that's, there's no way you could talk about that. And I remember being young, uh, and having the prestige of being at Merrill, but at the same time, watching younger guys or guys, my age at other firms doing very well, uh, doing IPOs, you know, launching energy companies and seeing these things blow up and do really well. I was like, oh, that's that sounds like a lot more fun than wealth management. And, you know, uh, you know it's a very different proposition, uh, you know, especially when you're young, there was a chance to to really you know, build something and grow something. Um, now, the, the same is true in that that kind of growth sector is there, there's a lot of uh, 
uh, lifestyle companies and whatnot. But long story short, I took a look at the mining sector and realized that there was massive undervalued opportunity there. And also could see the writing on the wall that this, you know, kind of electric shift was happening. Um, you know, there, there's been long talk of, of meeting carbon, you know, you know, uh, levels of, of reducing this, wanting more of that. And that ultimately comes down to, you know, whether you like it or not mining. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not going to use oil and gas, or even if you're going to limit it in any way capacity, you have to be mining it. And that's just reality, uh, which is exciting. It's, it's, it's amazing. And because you look at some of these opportunities, you go, okay, who owns most of these, these commodities and products? And uh, who has the management teams that could make uh, a venture work? So we kind of put a model together and started down that road. I guess the, the long and short of it. Is there any point of that? At uh, which point of your career or experiences that like was the most standout learning experience for you? Merrill was probably the like the best for just massive hands-on learning because it was kind of like, great, you went to university, you did your securities and options derivatives. Now, a lot of that's kind of useless. <laughs> it was kind of like, you, you, you've proven you could learn that, way to go. Here's our, here's our training course now. Uh, so that training was, was excellent. Uh, it was like a month long. Uh, so it was like a very squished in intense program. But I would say beyond that, where I actually had to apply on a very unique high-end level was I created an offshore captive insurance company for a land banking company in Calgary. So we had built a very interesting product that I'm not, I can't speak too much about uh, that was based out of Barbados and basically worked like insurance, sort of like when you buy a warranty for your, your laptop from A and B Sound, we had built in a warranty type of product uh, that was very tax uh, effective and was based out of Barbados and uh, ultimately was a big win for this company because they had a lot of risk exposure and uh, very tough. It was a, you know, a derivative type of play. It was a lot of lawyers with a lot of conversations and a very tough model to, to make. But that, because we got to apply something in the real world that was uh, very, very difficult. I love the derivative space because it allows you to be very creative, but you obviously have to be careful because of what we saw mm. in 08, what we might be seeing now with crypto and the contagion that's kind of unfolding there. Um, I'm curious to know for from the derivative side, like you're dealing with a lot of legalities. There's no question about that. Right? Yeah. What you saw potentially at Merrill, and I'm not trying to single out one particular firm, Yeah, yeah. but Merrill was sort of that one you know, firm that <laughs> got acquired by Bank of America, yep. you know, they could have been the next Lehman Brothers. But what was your key takeaway during that time? Because I, I understand you were probably around back then yep. to see that unfold. What, what was your key takeaway from that time, particularly in the derivative space and just you as like a investing professional and just curious about the financial space? Certainly, especially with derivatives, that they're incredible tools and they're sophisticated tools. So you can create all sorts of portfolios um, that are very effective. Um, and they had some great programs with the ability to, to sell stocks and whatnot. You know, you could cap them and, and structure them in certain ways. And it was very creative accounting wise. Um, the flip side of that is that there's actually many books written uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the names of them where even like Merrill was specifically named where 
they had a real penchant for creating products uh, on an institutional level that were interesting to say the least, like uh, inverse Libra cube type things where uh, a lot of people would end up buying some sort of derivative product thinking the outcome would be one way and not really truly understanding because they would literally hire like NASA uh, scientists to create some of these. The, the math level was, was out of this world. And like you said, it's all in that writing and the wording. And a lot of times, you know, and you wouldn't think it was true, but they were able to sell some of these. Uh, and I'll just say this, not from my personal experience, but from some of these books, um, just because people didn't want to admit that they, uh, they didn't fully understand what they're getting into. <laughs> and they, it was uh, more like an ego buy. Yeah. And the guys were pretty, uh, let's just say aggressive with their sales techniques. Uh, they were pretty, pretty hard on, on there. And yeah, they're funny books because it's kind of like what, what you'd think uh, where they're calling someone and, and selling large blocks of a product and be like, what, what you don't, you can't figure this out. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> and if you're dealing like, and I think it was orange County to be specific, where it was a, an older fellow who, who did make the claim that no, I didn't really truly understand. I believe he won that claim, yeah. uh, but they were selling him a lot of stuff that uh, he, he probably didn't understand. But anyways, that was just kind of what can happen sometimes whenever you're in that world of uh, layers upon layers of unpeeling the onion to kind of realize what do you actually have here? What do you actually own? And whenever it's different trigger points that can cause like an inverse floater with a, a, an interest rate and this, I mean, these types of things can become very confusing very quickly. It's funny, it's like the first time when you try to understand options. Yes. that's what it was. That's for me, at least. I mean, when I started reading about options, it was kind of the same thing. And then that is like the derivatives are like that 10 on, on steroids times, yeah. times 100 almost, <laughs> right? Is. Yeah, because it's hard enough to get your head wrapped around those. And when you do, you go, oh, okay, like a vanilla option trade. I get it. And if you just use it for protection, great. I mean, farmers used, they hedge with they have futures to. and commodities. So that's very like kind standard. of standard and simple. You go, oh, I'm, I'm just buying insurance. And most people will get it then. The problem is, is that you you have really smart people. <laughs> and that becomes the problem. All these really smart people, like partially because they're, they're creating a product for a client specifically, they have a specific risk, risk that they're trying to uh, either strip away or to sell off or that they want to keep. And uh, that is when it becomes a little bit more interesting and the financial quote unquote engineering that goes on uh, to, to find out, which is kind of like the 2008 big short type thing. You're able to strip out different risks and put them in somewhere else, bundle them together and do all sorts of fun, interesting stuff. Uh, Enron did somewhat the same type yeah. of thing. Uh, these are all uh, what would say <laughs> rogue pioneers pushing the limits of financial instruments uh, that you know people do partly to see because they think they're smart and they can do it. Uh, and there's lots of fees, but also it, it in a weird way, it can help the market grow, I suppose, if you want to look at it in a positive way, is that it's forcing people to really stay ahead of the game. How, did, how was it learning uh, or, or witnessing the 2008 uh, crisis, like from your angle? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a big meltdown. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all a lot easier looking back to go, well, something's up, like there's definitely something up. But the big shock was even then thinking that, you know, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, like that, uh, you hear rumors that you could buy that your, your AAA rating and you could hear stuff like that, but nothing 
nothing solid, right? There's nothing you know in the, in a mainstream news by any way, shape, or form. But to see something that's supposed to be uh, ironclad and uh, very boring and dependable, um, all of a sudden, not. Uh, and that's that's one of the wonderful things is if you're locked in with a pension fund, say with Orange County, and you're expected to get a certain rate of return and you're floundering, you could be enticed to get your yield uh, with some interesting type of product. And that's what would happen. And that fee that you'd get for creating the project or sorry, the, the product is what investment banks live on. They don't necessarily live on uh, the trading. I mean, they have a trading floor or anything, but like, their money is in creating products and selling products for the clients. Uh, but if they create one, they also have to sell it. So they got to balance that off. So it's an interesting model. It's an interesting business. And I think that movie as well did a good job of showing the complexity uh, of the, the various counterparties involved. Um, and that's a very different game uh, and a very different market, of course, where it's it's tough. I say to people, I don't want to be in that market because the level of intellect is is really high. Never mind, you have you have uh, you know trading programs that can crunch numbers and can get access to data. Never mind, also piggyback in front of your trade before you even get in there. So for me, the attractiveness to a junior market is also this thing that scares people. Is that there's there's a lot of grifting in there as well. There's there's like lifestyle companies, but there's also huge opportunity for asymmetric gains if mm. you can find some simple uh, catalysts and they're not, you know, they're not, uh, you know, secrets, you know, you, if you've got strong management, a good project and strong backers, those, you have to have all three that gives you a good shot. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't promise anything, but that's a lot easier model to go and look at. And, and I think people, if they looked at say Silicon Valley and they go, Oh, it's, it's another deal from, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, alphabet. Or there's another deal coming out. You'd want you'd have a lineup of people wanting to be in the deal because hey, these people have done this, they've done that. I want to be in this deal. It's not unsimilar in any other market of going. Who are the people? What attracted to the project? Do they have the right geo? Are they you know? Did they attract the right funds and the right money? Uh, and that you know that kind of model is the same as you'd find here in mining. And that's easy to get through a lot of companies very quickly to see, does this one have a good shot? It's good. Good segue into what we wanted to talk <laughs> about, which is exactly, um, you know, the, the opportunity that's really ahead. Um, and I think, you know, if you understand how to read a chart, you can actually see that it's there, but I want to take one little step back. Just look at some of the names that you have on your website right now. Yeah. Um, very phenomenal gains. I mean, those are the types of gains that I and my Nick like to chase after in our yeah. little speculative accounts that we normally just like to throw some money at. Um, there's obviously a strategy here, but there, there's sort of a component that I think a lot of young investors uh, can't seem to grasp their head around and they want instantaneous gains. And that just doesn't happen. So talk about what your methodology was to get, you know, to that point and to secure pretty much those gains. Cause it's, it's really, it's really interesting to see this stuff. Yeah. We've grown this out pretty quick uh, and pretty fast. And it was a lot of reading. And I mean, I'm lucky because I come from a background that I I'm not starting from, from nowhere. Right. And it was seeing the writing on the wall that, listen, there's going to be this shift. Um, and just, you know, trying to ask myself, and let me just put, take a step back to say, jumping into the mining sector, which because it's so small mm -hmm. and coming from where I was and even talking to my friends that they're saying like, 
why are you in mining? Do you mean like, do you mean like Bitcoin mining? Like, what are you doing? Like, it makes no sense. But and like, they're just literally con- like, like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> like they don't understand because yeah. why would you be in that? It's like talking about mining is like infrastructure. It's the most boring thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's nothing exciting about it, but I think people are going to start to learn mm-hmm. very quickly that this boring stuff, this infrastructure, this mining, these metals, it's going to, it's going to be very exciting because everything that you want to do and I want to do, or an environmentalist wants to do, if they want to see this green future, it's all mining. And I live in Vancouver where I would say that to people for years now, and you watch their head spin around. They're not very happy to hear it, but I'll just say, listen, I mean, what, like, where do you think solar panels are made? Like, where do you think that comes from? How do you think power is generated? Like, where, where is it coming from? Um, All of these solutions, like, what about a battery? Did you realize a battery is like, and I might get this wrong, but it's 48 kilos of copper alone. I mean, the amount of lithium in there, there's graphite. Um, it's it's huge, the amount of resources needed. And we're just talking about a car battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're talking about the electrification of the world, yeah, I mean, imagine what we need to do with our infrastructure for power generation and for like power generation for a city, all these things. So I could see with all of these like UN World Economic Forum climate change goals that, listen, this is going to take resources that are shockingly large. Yeah. Um, and it didn't take a lot of research to find out well, who controls most of them, China. Okay, <laughs> so they're pretty smart. <laughs> they they and set they themselves have, up well. They, they, they know something. They know yeah, something. Yeah. I, find, I find the West, just, just to start to cut you off quickly, yeah, no, just, yeah. In, I, I think I've come to realize that over the last 20 years, with the way we've developed with technology and the internet, I think that the human mind has kind of disconnected from reality and has kind of dwelled a little too much on the realm of fantasies and because of the internet, that as we start seeing that things start to regress and become more chaotic, and people are going to start become, or people are going to get grounded again and realizing yeah. we have to revert back to the mean, which is objective reality. And that's where the commodities and the infrastructure and uh, the junior mining I know we, what in the West we've been neglected that space for what oh. 10, 15 years from investment. Yeah. It's gonna come rebounding More. right back because it's been neglected for so long. It's so under under uh developed and un- unappreciated. Yeah. And I mean, quite frankly, and there's lots of cases of of bad mining stories that that yeah, it's it's low-hanging fruit for someone to write mm-hmm. a mar- an article about how terrible it is. But the regulations, especially in Canada, are are airtight. I mean, it's it's really it's 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 had esg before esg was really a thing mm. <laughs> uh so i mean it's 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 difficult i mean i would almost say you could make it a little bit easier uh but we're a resource country and yeah. i mean if you can look at in australia and see we're very similar cultures they're very liberal uh canada's extremely liberal but they get it they're all they're all for it though so you go huh like they understand this transition whereas still here in canada they're like no 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 we can't have mining uh, and it's, it's very much the, let's not talk about China, just let them do it. And it's like, well, listen, if you really are one of these climate type of, you know, you know, people, then you do know that just cause they do it, you know, 4,000, 6,000 kilometers away, it still affects you. Right. You do know mm-hmm. that, uh, it's not good enough just to just say, let's pretend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would make the argument that you actually, you want it in your backyard because then you get a voice, you get a say in yeah. it and you're going to do it properly. Uh, because family, loved ones, everyone's here. Uh, and certainly today, whether it's nuclear, uh, so with uranium, or it's, it's copper, it's a, a mine, whatever it happens to be, you can do it nowadays at a code 
and at a level of ESG that would make people comfortable. And I think that's the challenge, the hurdle, but also the opportunity here for any investor to go, there's like generational wealth. And yeah. I'm not trying to be too totally. promotional because you know it, it, all the fundamental data shows that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now that, that that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. I, I think it is, but you know, you know, weirder things have happened in the past year or two. Um, but as, as a person who likes to to mitigate risk and to look at risk, to me, if you can find good companies with solid management that have projects, most importantly, I would say first rung would be in Canada, US, then that is going to be a, a good place to look. So you're also heavily focused on because one thing we we've, we've discussed we've discussed uh, quite a bit of is from a geopolitical standpoint if you're going to enter the mining space as things get worse and worse and like we started to notice how a lot of governments around the world are starting to nationalize energy companies and that it would they would ideal um, potentially do the exact same thing with mining space that yep. you're going to have places where like in China if you if you have a mine and you they you find something that you like China just comes and takes it from you. So it's, it's happened before. It definitely could exactly. Have 100%. So the way I've come to we've come to realize is that if I'm going to play the mining space, I want it to be more of a background play. I want it to be more in the West, where at least I understand more of the geopolitical, where I can pay attention to it much much more easily than I can other places. Yes. Yeah. I, I, that's where you want to start. You want to start with your, like what mineral do you want? And I mean, I I love copper. Like mm. I, gold is is an obvious one because it's a that's that's the the gateway one. That's gold goes first, and people get it. Um, now, not as much younger people because it's boring and it's gold. Yeah. But my case for gold isn't because it's exciting and it's all the other, like it's it's portable, it's, it's, it's that. No, I just say, listen, there's a reason why like federal reserves have been buying up gold and the number two, the top two, China, Russia. And I think there's no, and also and India's right up there. So mm-hmm. that BRICS formation that's been going on, that's like magically come together. You could see that coming years ago uh, now. And, and that was kind of a, uh, a suggestion that I was saying could happen as a, a challenge to the, the, the US dollar hegemony uh, that's kind of enveloping right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it was simply, I don't care if it's old guys and it's boring and it's gold, it doesn't matter. There's a reason why these giant countries mm-hmm. are buying it. Uh, and it may not be sexy and fun like a crypto and like, oh my God, that's so cool. Cause there's lots of really cool, exciting things there is that it's just simply a political and a realistic kind of approach that I, I looked at it. Yeah. And then of course it was, how can I make a copper story sexy? Cause mm-hmm. that really is boring and it's long. <laughs> uh, and it is, you tie it into, well, what's it make? It, well, okay. It makes mm-hmm. your Tesla. It makes this and that. And that kind of then brings in the whole supply chain issue, which we're going through, which is, which is very onerous. Uh, you know, that we, we sometimes have to ship one material from here to somewhere else which is a huge strain because they use bunker fluid for a lot of these uh, these tankers, strain on the environment, uh, a, a giant cost. Uh, and with the breakdown of those chains and also the the breakdowns of some of the, the politics out there, never mind what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, is that I say, I would rather have something that's going to supply the West, that's very easy to ship or easy to transport, uh, can be developed uh, with those people in mind and would service those people. So that's, I know people think that's very insulated, but to be perfectly honest, I'd much prefer that than if you're trying to rely on a Russia or a China. 
course. Well, you're, that's you're, why we have one of these things. If we can't get gold, right? We got to <laughs> yes, we, yes. we, we, we get the poor man's gold, which is silver, because it's pretty much at a discount right now. But no, yes, you're beautiful. right. You're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's just like this entire, like you said, the writing has been on the wall for the last, I would say, 20 years. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, and all you well, have history to do. History writes the story. It, exactly. All you have to do is go to history, like the expression past is prologue. Yeah. If you can go back to history, you can actually anticipate what's essentially going to happen in the future. Now, you're not going to do it with 100% accuracy, but you can do it in a way that's going to allow you to at least position your portfolio in a way that you could say, okay, there's something going on here. And for the last 15 years, they've been saying there's going to be a shortage in copper, there's going to be a shortage in helium, there's going to be shortages of all these things, but they kept pushing, at least for our generation, they just kept pushing by the Netflix, by the Twitters, by the yes. Teslas. How are you going to make a Tesla without any of the mining stuff, right? And that's just something that we're going to have to deal with moving forward until people, until it starts affecting people where it really hurts. And that's the unfortunate part. That's going to be their wallet, right? Yes. Well, also, I would say to people, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tesla is kind of like the surrogate for, for a while there, at least, of everything green movement. Like mm -hmm. people are just like, oh, yeah, I, I bought Tesla. So you're like, okay, great. <laughs> um, but for me, it was, well... Say, say when I was at a thousand, I'm like, so if Tesla doubles, and does 2000, do you think that's realistic? And how long will that take? Whereas the beautiful thing about a, a junior miner is if you've done some homework, can it move hundred percent? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, and the flip side of that is that that becomes the every man's or every woman's playground of, you can reach a lot more people who can throw two grand or four grand or five grand at something uh, and have the volume and be able to do that, mm -hmm. which is really, more of a populist type of idea rather than if you're a Tesla, you're really talking about massive family offices, big pension funds, and they, they need to place, you know, 80 million, 200 million, 400 million in projects at a time. And if you're looking for 3 million for a mining project, they, they couldn't do it. I mean, I always kind of joke that if Apple goes up a billion in a day, like no one cares. Like, it's like, okay, whatever, who cares? If you dropped a billion dollars into the junior mining market right now, Holy smokes. Yeah. So it doesn't take much for yeah. that thing to start rocking. And that could have a, that could just have a life of its own very quickly. And that has happened. Like it is cyclical. Uh, and I remind people that this isn't like pie in the sky idea stuff. It will happen again because mm -hmm. we absolutely live off of this stuff. Exactly. And I, at the end of the day, mining still buys by the law of scarcity they have a finite amount of material in the ground you cannot just assume you'll have it for perpetual no. lifetime so eventually they'll cite those mining places come to an end and then new places need to be discovered the thing is you don't want to wait till the end until it's empty then you go finding and researching you need to have that discovered prior to the end of the cycle yeah it's r&d like and we've had it's been tough the last say especially eight years I and mean, we had a good year last year but you look at what a lot of these junior miners do is they go out and do the R&D. They're looking for resources yeah. and all the easy pickings in a lot of places have been found. So you're talking about, you know, either refurbishing and using new techniques and uh, mm -hmm. new technology. Uh, and there's lots of good stories there. Um, and, or you're talking about further out, which, you know, uh, I love the golden triangle for certain stories, but at the same time, you know, when you hear like, it's a $3 million budget on, on uh, helicopters. You go, Oh my God, that's painful. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money on helicopters because you, you got to go up in these yeah. mountains and flying it around and everything. And that's just the reality is that the easy pickings have been done by hand mm -hmm. years ago. And it's, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more effort. 
Um, and that takes uh, a lot of commitment, not only by government, but about by these big funds. I mean, if they're really serious, um, and we see some of it with lithium, because uh, the, the battery angle story, but if they're really serious about trying to meet any of these targets, then what they're really saying is we need to start investing and finding ways to get large sums of money in to do R&D, to find more uh, you know, resources out there, whether it's uranium for nuclear or it's lithium or it's vanadium with vanadium redox batteries, you name it. Or as you were mentioning before with the gases, I mean, the noble gases, as well as you know, the heliums and the hydrogen, mm -hmm. I mean, these things are going to play a massive uh, role in the future and they're all going to play a role. It isn't just like one's going to be over another. I mean, just in the lithium space alone, uh, there's the uh, lithium iron type of type of play that one can make for a certain type of battery. Um, there's there's all sorts of different batteries that will play a role. Never mind some of the graphene type ones as well. Like mm -hmm. uh, there's a company GMG Graphene that I like because I love more intricate intricate nuanced stories. And graphene is kind of like a wonder material as well. Mm -hmm. It's taken ten years to develop, but there's things that are happening out there that we don't hear in the mainstream news. That I think if people knew they wouldn't be quite as doom and gloom. I mean, believe mm -hmm. me, we know there's lots of doom and gloom right now. There's lots of uh, difficult situations, but you can also find there's so many incredible stories in science and in, in this development of energy and in the shift to get excited about, to go, listen, I would rather focus my attention on this possibility of solving some of these problems that we're facing in the capital markets and finding companies and teams and management that are set to do it uh, and make some money along the way. I mean, that to me, that's where I wanna focus my attention because it's exciting. Uh, I get to read about new scientific developments all the time. So that whenever I get kind of that black pill doom kind of, I don't wanna get out of bed, everything sucks kind of day. I just think, no, 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 no. There's people that are like, they don't even pay attention to the TikTok mm -hmm. and the Instagram and all the nonsense. They're focused and they're pumped about what's happening in the future. I've realized that, that that space is very stimulating. The, the, the junior mining space, the commodity space. The one thing I've come with, the, the amount of people we've had conversations with, it is so beyond stimulating because you talk about so much different things, whether it's the ground, geology, politics, economics, uh, you name it. You have some way or another, everything comes right round circle back to that topic. Yeah, it's, it's and part of it too is it, it, it entices the treasure hunter in people. Mm -hmm. like, yes. Because the ones that that do well and that have made like hundreds of millions, they're still doing it because they're yeah. just treasure hunters. Because they, like, love, they, they love, love that it. chase. The they Doug Casey, it. the yes. Rick Rule, oh, uh, you know, the yes. list goes on. Oh, they the, love they, it. They, yeah, they don't <laughs> stop. They don't stop. But it's also, it's funny because I've gone to conferences too and I've asked them, I said, listen, and like your show is the mindset. And I'd say, because I suspect there is a mindset to be in the mining space because it's like, and I would say, do you believe there is a mindset that attracts people to be a CEO or to be a financier in this space. Uh, and I, I was hinting that I would think it has to be a bit of a masochist because for the most part, you're going to be berated. You're going to be yelled at, screamed at. You're going to have a lot of you know stress, uh, but you're also going to have wins that are hard to imagine because they are intergenerational. Like they're massive. The, uh, the biggest thing that I think stimulates nick and myself with this sector in particular is just the fact that when you do hit that gain you gotta not, you gotta stop getting greedy 
Yes. Because then there's like that little factor. It's like, no, you got to like, let's say you put in, I don't know, let's say you bought 10,000 shares of a company. You bought it at 10 cents. You write it up to a dollar, dollar 50. The, the greed in you is going to, okay, no, buy more right now. Right. Yeah. But what you should realistically do, and maybe you could talk about sort of your psychology when you've gone through this, but what I normally do, Nick, I know you've done this too, is I like to just take out my cost. Yeah. Because you Perfect. take out your cost and then that's it. You let it the ride rest up. Is free ride, yeah. The rest is a free ride. But like, what else should people be doing at that point in time? I mean, I have to be careful that I'm not giving advice, but I mean, that's, that's the best one I give because it's, it's just, it's something someone could understand very quickly and go, listen, you put in this much, it's gone up this much. Like you've now hedged yourself. Like exactly. You know what? Don't get greedy because there's two sides of that coin is that one is mining's difficult because it's, it's an art as well as a science. So it's, it's kind of a beast on its own. Whereas something like say a helium company where you've got ongoing results and they're immediate or oil and gas, when you know your assays and, and it's, it's very quick, you would say, listen, they're building the resource. If they keep on hitting milestones, just keep investing, like mm-hmm. don't sell a winner. But I mean, mining is very difficult. It has a very long term and it can be seasonal. Um, and I liked how you put it, Nick, is that if it's something in the background where you're like, listen, I get it. I get what you're saying that we need this. And, and I can understand the, the bigger picture that, you know, if I look 10 years down the road or five years down the road, that I've been a part of this whole supply chain to get copper from BC to a plant that's creating the coils and this and the, the copper wiring for a Tesla. I feel cool because I've taken part in this answer or solution towards climate change, say. Uh, I like to say to people, imagine that you're that person in five or 10 years and you've made some money and you've done well in it. That's where you need to kind of put yourself with, with mining because it's long. You're not going to get the quick volume and the quick, so, uh, you know, you'll, you might get a, a rush, you might get a big win, but that also, because it's had eight years of, of a really tough market is exactly some might just dump it on the good news. You get that all the time. It's like a great, a great press release. Sometimes you go, what the stock just went down 10%. What's going on? You, 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 you just touched on something else that I think is important. Your level of patience in this space gets tested so much. Yes. Because there's, yes, it's volatile. You've accepted that. I think you, you know, once you're buying resource stocks, you're going to ex- uh, accept a certain level of risk, but you've got to have that patience, right? Even like the slightest bit to hold on just a little longer sometimes could be the difference between, you know, a thousand, a 10 bagger and like a two bagger, right? Just Absolutely. just to give, just to give a personal experience, we had uh, Johnny Kovacevic. He used to be oh, on yes. uh, Copper Bank. So yes. yeah, we had him on. Fair, He's Faraday a great guy. So I used to, I've been holding on to his company for four years. I bought it at four and a half, four cents, four and a half cents. It got converted. It went to four or something. And then it became 16 cents. It ran up to 85 cents. I sold yeah. my cost at 70 cents and now it's back down to 40 cents. Yeah. But to me, I, I still see no value to sell. For me at this price range, I'm actually tempted to buy more. Oh, Faraday Copper is great. I, and Gianni is awesome. What he's done there copper bank now faraday the team that he's amassed uh it's interesting because sometimes the the price doesn't reflect at all what's going on sometimes it does and that's the 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 tricky part but that's a great company like the management that who is he attracted to get in there uh, are outstanding and i and i don't know for sure but i suspect there's gonna be some great things to come uh it's pulled back sure but I, i agree with you it's a great company um if you like pure copper and i mean on top of that 
you know, he's got lithium bank. That's his focus exactly. now, which yeah. I'm a huge fan of as well. I, I was even, I had him on uh, probably two weeks ago and I see the opportunity with that because I'm a big fan of Alberta. Uh, I'm a big fan of energy, oil and gas, as well as this shift. Um, there's an opportunity there to really transform the look of Alberta into this, you know, this whole transition from the old to the new. Uh, and, I, and I say that kind of not to, to, you know, not to, you know, chime in on the, what, what kind of the, the, the basic narrative you hear out there all the time, because we're still going to use oil and gas. I know people don't like to hear that and uh, it drives people nuts, but it's key. That's where the disconnect is. That's, that's where the disconnect, disconnect of the reality. Right? Yes. No. Yeah. Um, and that's where it's very difficult. And you guys were, were, were right on with saying the narrative out there compared to reality is very different. And that totally. nuance and that, I guess, to some degree, ability to use social media gives a lot of people with the wrong message, a big voice uh, that isn't, it's not, it's simply just not real. And you can find that out very quickly. And, and part of our show and our, our website and our, uh, our live streams is to challenge critical thinking and to ask people questions and just be reasonable. And I find the fastest way to get to know if someone knows anything about anything, you know, who told you that? How, how, mm -hmm. like, where does, like, where does, energy, <laughs> where, <laughs> where does, where does energy come from? Like, where, how does that work? And well, you're going to find very quickly, uh, they don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, it's like money to most people, the money to most people there. It's, it's just a pure ideological concept. There's yes. more to it than just that. It represents something tangible, something real, and it represents a signal between individuals. And also people, that's why I'm going back to what I was saying before, man, this whole last 15, 20 years of just going pure onto the internet and yep. the mind is kind of disconnected from this reality and it has to come back eventually. I think that's, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful tool, but it's also the worst thing that we've ever had. <laughs> so I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I could agree to that because it, like you said, like when you go out, to talk to just people and you say, Hey, like how, the most common conundrum I would say with, you know, everybody now is how do we, how do we take care of the environment? And yeah. the default answer for the last 10 years is abolish fossil fuels. Yeah. And then the, my follow-up question is always like, do you know, like, what about hydrocarbons? And they're like, yes. what's that? And I'm yeah. like, hydrocarbons comes from fossil fuel. You realize there's hydrocarbons in your cell phone, everything bought plastic bottles yeah it's a, they're like well you can get rid of that i'm like how do you get rid of it yeah how do you and get they rid just of plastic? And, and and they just stump they just stump but it that's it. So it it's it the statement is always there but that when you ask them why there is nothing further behind so, that no so, so i was just gonna finish there i was just saying when, when george carlin comes out and says hey the planet is fine the people are fucked yes like that's the issue right it's yes. like how do you get human behavior to rationalize what's actually out there. And that's, that's where we're at right now. I think it's a, I don't think you can, I, I mean, I'm, I might sound like a doomer, but I think that there's too many people that have bought in on a lot of different fronts and they're too invested. They're too mm -hmm. invested. And for them to question, exactly. It's become a religion, right? So if you ask someone to question their faith in something, they're going to get very hostile. And yeah. uh, so I don't try to entice that crowd. Uh, I used to pick, poke at them a little bit, but I, I, <laughs> uh, maybe that's mean. I don't know. But I, uh, I, I guess I, I lose a lot of friends and gain a lot of friends very quickly because you'll, I just find if you're not allowed to ask questions and you're not allowed to ask for, Oh, like who told you that? Or where'd that come from? Then you're in a weird, you're in a weird bubble. Uh, you should always be able to ask. Uh, that's part of the scientific model is you're testing theories to see if they're, they're repeatable. Um, 
And, and that's why, I, I mean, I, this is a bit of a segue, but I always refer to the science as being the ideology and then actual <laughs> science being the data. Mm -hmm. So when someone mentions the science, I already know, oh boy, <laughs> trust, trust the science. I'm like, okay, you don't know science, do you? And that's, no, I'm being mean, I'm being a bit mean. But, but, it's no, just, but it's really I think true. it's just the, re I think it's just reality at this point. Like even, if somebody even, gets offended for sit, for you saying that, then that's, that's ultimately their problem. Like, like I go, issue. if we're going to talk reality, we have to go back that nature demands pressure, pressure produces yep. amazing and incredible, beautiful things. So in human ecosystems, as an individual, as an entity, or as a, a society, or as an economy, you need pressure, ideas need pressure, uh, goods and services need pressure. Without that competitive nature, nothing, there's no progress. There's no reason to move forward. Yes. I liken what's happening now to like a major transition in the world to like the Great Depression, to like a world war. And I'm not saying there's going to be a world war, mm -hmm. but I'm, this is the shift that's happening. And people psych psyches have been rattled between covid lockdowns mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation even even the most hardened believer in some of the narratives ultimately feels chaotic and feels stressed that something is going on mm -hmm. there's something happening and you know I, I i even try to keep away from the intent as to what it is what it could be i think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of major focuses that are happening and we try to stick to them like we stick to like the supply chain we look at fertilizer we know food scarcity is going to be an issue mm -hmm. not we see it already you know with cost of inflation we see it in vancouver and we see it in toronto but we've seen really, other countries other countries is where you're going to see starvation and that's the the more shocking part that we're going to see um and, you know, that reality is going to hit home soon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of took it for granted that we just thought we figured all that stuff out. Like, yeah. um, and if you want this, this new magical city, that's all a smart city with it's all electric, it's all these things. It's kind of like a better version of Blade Runner. Uh, can you imagine the resources that's going to take and the ingenuity? Um, but that being said, all of that is possible. I mean, with graphene, with everything that's available right now that you can put graphene into concrete, there's mm -hmm. all sorts of solutions that we could do that are really cool. They're mind blowing that someone could fixate on and be curious about and think, you know what? That is way better uh, time for my effort to be focused on all of this really cool stuff that we could be doing rather than worrying about, you know, a, a policy from Justin Trudeau. Like it's, it's, it's spread in circus, right? We get pissed off. We see, and I'm, I'm one for it. Like I'll see something on TikTok, I'll get pissed. I want to respond. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is yeah. like my new form of entertainment. I'm totally, you get sucked into it. It's easy. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, you lose focus. You lose I think, focus. I think I've realized that when it comes to social media and the, the internet and the phone is that like as a society, as a collective, we have not really had a learning curve around that tool yet. Yes. So there's this a big learning this is curve. The curve. This, this is, is the curve. It's exactly it. If you look at society, we've had what six, eight, ten thousand, hundred thousand years of slowly building out, and society relatively six thousand years. Within all that time frame, technology is only a couple decades, relatively like a big time, and then internet twenty-ish years, and then you have social media, which is ten to fifteen years. Okay, well, there's a big learning curve as a generation after the next that's going to come, that's going to learn how, or hopefully learn how to process that feedback more effectively to not let it be such a manipulative tool that it currently is. Yeah. I mean, just think of like the ethical, 
even if someone doesn't think about it, say like with AI and they know, okay, like robots are going to control the future. Like they're like a Terminator or something, or you think of CRISPR and everyone kind of knows that these things are happening. Even if they're not really following the news, they don't really know what that really means. They understand it's a psychological pressure as to the world is changing very fast, almost mm -hmm. too fast. I could barely get used to how to navigate my, my smartphone. Uh, I don't need more features and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a boomer, but I, I imagine that's a stress unto its own for, for a lot of people, uh, that it takes a, a, a psychological shift to get around the enormity and the speed at which things are changing, even in a positive way. I mean, it's very stressful to think of, uh, you know, if we're able to prolong life until like next or 20, 30 years, if we're able to do this, if we're able to enhance this way, are we going to put chips into our brains? I mean, one of those, if we took out a climate you know, catastrophe or a COVID, one of those issues would be enough to cause someone to go, oh, this is, I'm going to have to think about this for a while. <laughs> and we've got all of it happening all at once. I, I forget who it was. I think it might've been Robert Kiyosaki. He might've said this on one of his podcasts or his episode. He goes, if you're not concerned about what's happening, you don't have to worry. Right? exactly yeah. but if you are yeah if you are if you're not concerned and you're just living a life i think those people should be actually be worried about it. that's what's what's ultimately going to potentially happen here in these next couple of years i think so you're going to be left behind i yeah. mean i think yeah. that's it's it's going to be the clear case um and there's lots of good things and lots of bad things that are also good like even if you talked about universal basic income you go oh that could be really effective it could be great it who's also paying could, for it <laughs> who's, hey, who's paying for it but also even if you had that solved and it was like, well, all these companies are going to pitch in to make it happen because they're that, that kind of person who's stuck in a UBI, their behaviors, we kind of know pretty much that yes, we clicked that on all this. Yeah. The welfare and, state. No. Yeah. And, and, and you know that they're going to, once you're in that, you're unlikely leaving it. And that's yep. also intergenerational. It, so it's self-destructive. It's self-destructive. Yeah. yeah. It's, it doesn't work, but the utopian idea is that, oh, like I'll play my mandolin and, and I'll work on art and I'll become I mean, like, okay, maybe like, that might work. But for a lot of people, the thought of trying to keep up for the pace and think there'll probably be some sort of engineer class and, you know, that's up here able to run everything. And then there'll be some sort of middle ground that is trying to figure out um, in some sort of shared economy of, Hey, I, I cover something on YouTube. You cover something on YouTube. You like me. I like you. We monetize somehow. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the future is going to look like, but it's certainly complex and it's more complex than going from the buggy whip to the car. It's, it's a big, it's a leap in intelligence that is. No, but that's troublesome. it. Exactly. I think it's more of the next phase is more of a conscious and uh, an evolution of consciousness to adapt rather than typically before was an evolution of technology and tools. Yes. So we need to learn how to better adapt ourselves to be more in balance and in tune with the, cre the incredible tools we've developed, because then those tools kind of become our enemy. They certainly can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's a big issue. I mean, there's a, a strange narrative to be like against nature, uh, which mm -hmm. is weird. Like this, a lot of this is let's fight nature and, and uh, adapt it to us, change its will towards us. And you know, maybe we need to take a, a step back as well and, 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 you know, think of the pace at which we're, we're growing. Um, there's something to that, but yeah. these are big, big questions that uh, are being, a lot of people aren't even focused on. I think that was what we were talking about is that if you're not interested to see where things could go, 
then you're going to be left behind. You just simply yeah. are. And, and I don't want to pretend like everybody's interested in the same things I'm interested in. I'm, I'm just a very curious person by nature. Yeah. I, and I would say to people, the most important thing, if someone says, well, I'm not the smartest person and I don't have an IQ of this and I'm not really, really intelligent, go, I don't think that really matters. I think if yeah. you're just disciplined and you're very curious, that will get you really far. I, yeah. really I really believe that. Give me someone who's curious by nature and they're willing to work. They're going to be, they're going to have a, a huge opportunity. There's a lot of anxiety of people. Like I've come to realize having conversations, trying to talk about politics and macroeconomics and the investing space in the futures. I find, especially with the younger people, is I find a lot of people are anxious to talk about those things because it makes them question their place in that future. Yes. You don't want to feel like you're locked into one or another. Also, I mean, everything's politicized, which is terrible. Like, I mean, uh, like I, well, we just have to go with COVID, right? The whole thing that, was politicized. It's all politicized, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and everything's in your face now politicized where it doesn't yeah. need to be. Like it's kind of, and then I don't like how they, the narrative on all of that is like, uh, I, I love meat, I, I do. And I'm always going to eat some steak. But I, and I used to live in Alberta and I used to eat a lot of meat. Then I was like, well, this is not really the best for me. I should eat more veggies. It's just better for me. I still love meat. But it's like, well, then I'm like, okay, well, which camp do I, I belong in? Because the leftist narrative says I should only eat, I should be a vegan and a vegetarian. And the right wing is like, no, you should eat meat all day. And it's like, and they try to force you in that camp. And it's like, uh, no, I, I don't, I, that's, that's not it. There's a nuance on almost all of these topics. There's a nuanced, reasonable middle ground exactly. that we can find um, that doesn't have to be politicized. And unfortunately, uh, I blame a lot on media uh, that mm -hmm. has become, and then people yeah. get scared. They mm -hmm. think, oh my God, I'm not a vegetarian. They must think I'm a terrible person. And it's like, no, it, it doesn't it's, mean it's, that. It, it's kind of like that high school mentality. It's like, if I don't wear a certain t-shirt or yes, you know, like anything. And like, people are going to be like, oh, this guy's judging me or they're, they're not going to think I'm cool. Like that's, it's almost like we've normalized society into believing that, oh, if I don't think a certain way, I'm not going to fit in, right? Yeah, collectivism, yes. as you refer to. Yes. And I mean, and it's odd because you know, diversity being such a key word is that, that exactly. the, the most exciting thing someone should have is diversity of thought. Yeah. And people should challenge each other. Yeah. yeah I mean, you should agreed. be like, listen, I don't know if this is true or not, but what do you think of this? I mean, if you did that at a party, you, you've got friends over and you're having some beers. Uh, and if you try to keep the anxiety level to a minimum, people come up with some crazy fun ideas. And even if it was nothing more than just a simple mind experience, uh, you know, experiment for, you know, fiction writing or, or, or whatever, uh, that engagement of challenging each other, that's where people grow. And also in person, yeah. uh, this, this is a great tool, like the zoom and all that. And the internet is a great tool, but we need to be doing a lot more in person. Yeah. Uh, we're, 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 human beings were life forms that need to be around each other that have an energy field. Exactly. Uh, and that yeah. that's a healthy thing to have. And, you know, this last two years, people being alienated and being isolated and uh, stuck to their phones too much. There's uh, a disconnect there. And yeah. I mean, if, if people don't flex that muscle of wanting to be around other people, that also can have a, a very harmful negative impact on yeah. society. Absolutely. We're at a we're at an inflection point, I think. Um, one that doesn't really get emphasized a lot, but like you said, it gets critically uh, scrutinized by by a specific group of people. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of investors are obviously on the lookout for right now is, at a macro level, this recession 
or this fear of a recession uh, is causing a lot of headwinds. There's always a debate now. I mean, we've got friendly debates of like, oh, is inflation peaking or it's going higher and stuff like that. And like, it's interesting to see where people's psychology is right now. What do you, what do you think? Like, what's your take these next couple months here uh, coming out of this, you know, money printing craze apart from the resources and stuff, but just from like the, the macro standpoint, like where, where, where do you think the market's kind of heading here without knowing that you have a crystal ball right now? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, the, like I'm a, like a foundation fundamental type of person. I like fundamental analysis. I like, you know, looking at, you know, historical references and it's not pretty, it's not good. I mean, what's happened almost, if you look at, you know, between EU and the US, one could easily make the case that are you purposely trying to tank? Like, are you purposely trying to fail? Is this a push to, to absolute failure? Um, so I'm not as optimistic short term. Um, and that's, you know, my thesis has been for years was, you know, it's kind of the Great Depression and Roaring Twenties rolled into one. This is an inflection point where people will make a lot of money and then a lot of people will be left behind. Um, and I'm, I'm making a bet personally on that. And, you know, I'm, I'm all in, uh, hopefully I'm not wrong, but if I am wrong, I mean, so be it. I mean, it's this, I use this, the markets and I use this, uh, discussion and the, the different viewpoints as a way to kind of flex my brain and to grow as a person. And at the end of the day, like if I'm on my deathbed, whether or not I had X dollars in the bank, I'm not going to care. It was, what was that growth path? Like, what did I learn a lot? Did I actually take a chance? Like, or did I, did I wilt? Like all that kind of stuff. I'm more interested in that, you know, whether or not someone made X amount of dollars, maybe that's cool. Maybe it is not, but it's not as much to me anymore. It's that, did you see what was happening? Uh, were you thinking about it critically? And were you asking the right questions? And did you take a shot? And there's a lot of people out there uh, if they get really curious and really excited, there's some shots that you could take and it could, it could really change your future for you. A, a young person, my age, I mean, there's, there's huge opportunity right now. And there always has been, even when things have been absolutely horrendous, um, there's been opportunity and I'm not, uh, you know, although we've had a bit of a bounce in the last, you know, today was a good day in the markets. I think the writing the wall isn't terribly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I'm sure there was lots of times in history whenever people said, oh my God, the Fed can't keep printing this money. They can't keep doing this. Yet somehow they could. Uh, I don't put anything past this, this group. These are not stupid people. Uh, I, I would, I would, and I always kind of jokingly mention a lot of the politicians may not be the swiftest, but this behind the scenes group, uh, including, you know, your, uh, your BlackRock, your Vanguard, these are very, very smart people. You know, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they are very smart now, and you may not like the policies. You may not like their vision of stuff. I'm not talking about that. They're not stupid. Um, so whatever it's going to be, they're tied up in the markets. So that's going to be coming with them in the future as well. Um, and I think that there's still an opportunity, although there's lots of doom and gloom. And I think for someone to, to wrestle away all the negativity and go, listen, what's like, what should I be focused on is to latch onto something that you believe in and that you uh, that you're excited about and go with it. I mean, that's, that's more of a move than feeling like you're jumping from one politics talk to another, to this, to that, and, and not really you know, taking a stand or not really putting your money where your mouth is. 
now is a time where you can set yourself up. And uh, that's certainly what we're doing over here. And we want people to engage the conversation and, and challenge us and say, hey, no, I think you're wrong. I don't think we're going to use uranium. Or no, I think it's it's only going to be hydrogen. Or I think it's going to just be vanadium. Uh, hey, let's let's talk about it. And that gets people you know, thinking in the right direction. Yeah. It scares me when things are driven by politics rather than markets. Because politics will force outcomes to necessarily match their, de their desires. And when you try to force things in the short term, you neglect fundamental things, which take time. To build out things properly, you need to do it properly, which takes time. You can't force your way there. If you try to force anything, things usually crack. So yes. that's my biggest fear is that eventually, whether we go one way or another way, whatever it is, it's going to crack and people are going to start realizing that you need a balance. Some place might require nuclear. Some place might be more suited for solar. We can't force one place to be one way just because politically it makes, we want it that way. I, yes. I, feel, I really feel that from a market standpoint, the diversity component of energy infrastructure is also critical. It needs to find its own way to be sustainable within its own environment and depending on where it's located in the world. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was just even talking today with Desert Mountain Energy, which is one of my favorite companies. Yeah, yeah, their, yeah. Their yeah, CEO, Robert. Yeah, Rolfing. they did really well too. I, 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 love I, it. I own I own the shares as well. I think that's Perfect. where you and I kind of just said yes. we got to talk. Yeah. But go ahead. I, people are yeah. always sick of me talking about it. I love it because it hits all <laughs> my check marks. I don't care. I love it. Goodbye we last talking. week, right? Yeah. Oh my god, that's that's what you're talking about. I was like, oh my god, I was so happy when I saw that. <laughs> reading the forums and people are all upset. I'm like, thank you. I just bought more. So, <laughs> yeah. and we were talking about like, a, you know, white hydrogen. So there are places in the world where you could access this renewable hydrogen and that could be part of the mix. And it's, once again, like you said, it's geographically uh, driven and that could be a huge component. It doesn't mean then I have to use that in BC. Uh, you, you may not even be able to get it up here, you know, eff effectively or efficiently. But if people realize that, that even in the political jargon of net zero, it's a net. Like that means we'll still have oil and gas, but they might also have a credit on the other side where they're able to store CO2 in a cavern in the ground or whatever, or they might get a credit for that, or we might start using some of the machines that take carbon from the air. Um, so the, the, the key term there is that it's a net carbon zero, uh, which is also an entirely fun conversation because it's the ultimate investment banking product to make is a carbon credit and a carbon market that you can uh, monetize because you know the most interesting thing with that is you know all form of life is carbon and we are made out of carbon and all of a sudden you've monetized everything including every human being on the planet which is also a little disturbing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody's walking there's like you know carbon just being emitted from everyone well i mean that's where i i honestly think that's where it's going i see like yeah. a fed coin and i see that you know maybe in 2030 they, they balance it in with a carbon because all of a sudden you've got this internet of things and uh you know we're working with a really cool company called versus and you know it's it's next level spatial web 3.0 kind of stuff and you see this integration of all the data um you know spatially with you know sensors is that I don't see it being all that strange that in the future, you know, you get to have one flight a year and one vacation flight. If you don't use it, you can sell your carbon. If you want more, guess what? You're buying a ticket plus you're buying the carbon from somewhere else. Now that might seem dystopic or nonsensical, but I think that's a possible 
That certainly is possible future that could be happening. And that would go in as far as well as you're wearing a Fitbit and your health and everything else. And, oh, you know, what do you, what you've been eating poorly? You haven't been sleeping well. I mean, all of these things are going to be data that hopefully we can choose to turn on or turn off. But if they're turned on, will be a great uh, advantage, but also very interesting as far as data goes. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like the uh, you know the, the adage of okay, get everybody on electric cars. They're not mm. going to eliminate gas. They're just going to start taxing people based on how far they're driving. It's the same yes. type of mind. It's the same idea, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I don't question too much the political narrative of any of these things or the intention. I try to keep away from that because then you avoid the whole conspiracy angle is that I don't ever say, <laughs> I think it's this. I'm like, I don't know what their intent is. And I, I would never have the conversation to be able to be in the same room with a, a Larry Fink or you know, a Klaus Schwab. I wouldn't even want to be. Uh, so I don't know what their intention is. I just know what they say. And I can then go, well, this seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, and then just go, and, and you just, you, you look at it as an observation. You don't yeah, say just anything. Go like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it does. And, it, and I've even kind of joked like in, in my presentation that, I mean, maybe if someone just says they're just a think tank, they're not really real. Okay. Well, I'm not married to any idea on it. It's just that they seem to be very, very good at foretelling the future. And uh, if they're saying that, you know, we're going a certain direction, yeah, they probably have pretty good influence. Uh, <laughs> so it's, there's no harm in looking and go, okay, if that's where the money's going and that's where they're going to be putting 20 trillion or, or you know, I think mm -hmm. they even earmarked at COP26, 175 trillion towards climate yep. solutions. Uh, the world economy is just over 100 trillion right now. So they have to print a lot more money or create a lot more value to, to get to that number to be able to invest. So and a lot of that, a lot of that's going to go to commodities. It has to it go. can't happen without it. So it doesn't happen. And also then you mix in the politics of, you know, is it going to be China? Because that, I mean, not that I want to be a fear monger, but they have been working like three months after COVID. They kept on working hard. They didn't stop. Their world didn't stop. They kept on going and they have got the one belt, one road. They have been building an empire and I'm going to get in real trouble now. Um, oh, that's true. That is, you know, kind of not unlike the manifest destiny of the old US that the US is now fighting that they're between and in Canada between self-hatred and then a bit of a rising, you know, nationalism to go, wait a second. Uh, I don't know if I want this to end. Um, and that's a very interesting period of time because what do we do? Do we, because if they take control, what does that look like? They, one could argue they already have it. They mm -hmm. are major bondholders. They have a lot of debt of the U S and they own and control a lot of the commodity space. Um, so I think if, if a country was smart, they would have a bit of independence, just like any individual. Like, I mean, I would give myself as many options as I can. Um, or just be totally disinterested and just focus on whatever you're doing and have a fun life. But for me, I'm not that type of person. <laughs> no, honestly, I do think, I do think China definitely poses a threat. I mean, you see it lately in the, you see it that there's a lot of uh, anti-American rhetoric going around in the world uh, that all of a sudden you have this guy that's always imposing himself on everybody else, criticizing everybody else, but yet nobody's ever at all to criticize them. Yes. Um, so you have that and then you have trade negotiations happening between Russia, India, Africa, China, you know, so it's, you're seeing that people, and they're doing it without using the USD or not wanting to use the USD. Oh, yeah. So you see that, that that shift is occurring and they might not say, well, you don't see it now. Sure, you might not see it now, but, you know, the next 20 years does not necessarily mean that it allows last 20 years and things will change. 
they are changing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's picking up speed. And yep. I mean, if you're looking at any civilization, you need energy. That's number one. Yep. And I mean, you know, Biden just sold off U.S. oil reserves. <laughs> and you can scratch your head. That was an interesting <laughs> one where he sells to China. Yeah. And then he goes to Saudi Arabia to that's buying all- cheaper oil from Russia and they're selling their oil to the United States. It was like, but like... Do- <sighs> Again, not to sound conspiratorial, but there is actual evidence saying that there are links to his son's business dealings oh, yes. in China. Yeah. That's why, and there's that's not a conspiracy, by the way. There's it's an actual document that, that yeah. tracks that. So, to Andrew, to your point, I think it's also important to you know note is like without energy, you don't have a country. And there's nothing. Yeah. What's happened in Sri Lanka? which happened in South Africa, what's happened in Ghana, what's happening in Germany and the Netherlands now. All of these countries, and you can go on the World Economic Forum's website, you can go take a look at the ESG scores. I think what we're starting to see, and this is math now, this isn't conspiracy, there's actually a negative correlation between a very high ESG score and economic prosperity and security in a country right now. Yes. Scary stuff when you put it to I'm just curious to know what your what your thoughts are on, on, on that whole spiel that's happening. Oh my God. The what was it, what do they call it? Corporate stakeholdership. Is that their their neat little term for their it's basically like social well, it's, I won't yes. Well, I mean Carl Marxism. Schwab wrote a book. Carl Schwab's book, um, yeah. Great Reset, is basically a replication of Marx's book, uh, yeah. uh Socialum Scientifica, which he wrote a, a long time ago. So that's like it's just a new age version, repackaged to yeah, it's, it's, it's repackaged. It's, it's, it's a cute ideology. It's, it's like all utopian uh, uh, ideologies that require everyone to believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And these are the ones, it's, the, it's a universalism type of idea, like communism, where uh, here's the bad guy and the whole world is going to be living kumbaya, utopian mm-hmm. bliss. It never works. It's terrible. Uh, I'm of the mindset that I never want, and this is why I'd never be a good politician. I never want to force someone to do anything. I have no interest in it. I just want someone to be either doing it because they love it and they want to, they strongly believe they're passionate about it. I don't care if their culture is completely opposite to mine. Um, They have a different experience of the world and that's great. And that's what makes life pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I, anyone who's trying to impose or force and even negatively through influence, um, I think it's, 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 it's toxic and it, it eventually fails. I mean, truth always yeah, prevails. Um, and there's, there's, there's plenty that uh, is just is awful. <laughs> it's just yeah. awful with their whole movement. Uh, and it's, it's, it's by fault will not work. And we just hope that the parts that are good, like some are like, Hey, listen, yeah, we should be very mindful of the environment. We should do things properly. And yeah, having the right stakeholders, you know, being, you know, taken care of. That's important. We already do that in Canada. Like I said, we, we had ESG before ESG was a thing. Um, those are yeah. just kind of fair practices and that's just a nice thing to do. It's good. But that uh, me picking on that and just saying that's the good stuff. The cons of their whole plan are enormous and they're terrible. The outcome. It's yeah. outcome and it's not it, good. It's Thomas. It Sowell, Thomas Sowell refers to that point. He goes, you have to ignore intent. Everything is determined by Every, outcome. Yes. You have to. And the thing that was interesting is with this whole ESG, especially from all these elitists and science people, it's like, but you know what? Let's go back the last two and a half years. Let's self-reflect on every action you wanted us to do. And let's see how much more waste we produced as a consequence. MIT came out saying that they had estimated roughly 7,000 tons 
uh, seven tons of masks per day was being wasted in the ocean because of all the mask mandates. Okay, but we, we're going to neglect that entirely that you help that the lockdowns increase the amount of take home and out and uh, takeout purchases people did. That's a lot of more plastic usage that ever occurred before. Uh, we're going to we're going to ignore that too. Like they pick and choose what seems to s- fit within their models. Hundred percent. It's scary. And it's scary, and, and that it works. I mean, yeah. it, it baffles me because someone will go, "Oh, but look, we've got rid of straws," and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, that's okay, that's great." Uh, Priorities. <laughs> like, okay, Priorities. I don't know what to say to that. That's okay. Wonderful. Um, but they don't like to, people. Don't like to be challenged, and, no. and no one likes to feel also like they're being manipulated. And I, I suspect even the true believers are feeling like. I mean, it's hard to walk around and believe the narrative, and then see other people who clearly don't buy it and you go, Oh, they seem pretty intelligent. Why aren't they buying it? Like there's the animosity, there's the conflict stage. And then there's a point where you go, maybe there's something else going on. There's too much happening. There's too much weird stuff going on. Um, but that being said, I mean, I get in trouble for saying this, the masses have always been the masses regardless. Um, and the way that someone who's a politician, and this is either side, uh, their, their goal is to just be the messenger of, of a message uh, to control that large of the masses. Yeah. Uh, and they don't enjoy us types that want to engage critically in it because they're like, Shh, listen, stop it. Like, it's going to be okay. You guys might like this conversation, but you're going to freak them out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they don't need, they don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what yeah. do you like? You're just making them upset. And yeah, do they think you're stupid? Yeah, for the most part, they do. Like, like they, they don't high, hold people in a high regard, let's just say. Um, and you'd think, like, just imagine to, to try to control a narrative on the scale of the amount of people on the planet. I wouldn't like to do it. I mean, I'm not that type of person anyway, but it's, it's not easy. And it takes all the money it takes with all the media that it takes uh, in order to keep it going. Uh, if you took someone in and gave them like a, a media holiday, uh, maybe it would only take a week or a month. All of a sudden, they start thinking, going, huh, yeah, there's <laughs> some, something's not right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy the world that we're in right now. I know that when we're coming. It, 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 uh, it answers every, it, it reflects in everything that's happening right now. The point in stage we got at, it's it's that. The welfare state, a bad paternal figure with a big ego who has this big utopic idea of how to make your life better and he's going to push it all the way through and he's going to leverage the financial system and economic system he's going to leverage your labor the tax system the corporate company and they're going to try to push it all the way through yeah and i mean i and i'm also i'm not a fan of the uh the vulture capitalists and that we've got that as well is that people can legitimately go well the wealth has been pushed to the 0.1 percent it has mm-hmm. so that if you're young and you think yeah they've stolen my future like yeah life looks tough. How do I fit in? This looks horrible. Uh, it's not hard to push that narrative onto someone that, that goes, I don't even know what I want to do for a job. And now like, I have to be a coder. I have no interest in that. Or I have mm-hmm. to be an engineer. Like I, I'm not, in, I'm not motivated by that. And also I see this lifestyle of these types that I don't even like very much. And it's like gauche. It's really gross. Like it's $500 million yachts. And I'm worried about, can I make it? Yeah. Like, so the narrative has swung to where we used to have an open market, a capitalist market driving the economy to this excess that's, it's not hard to pick at and go, that's really gross. And a lot of these models where, you know, even like, a, a, you know, the 
the uh, skip the dishes. I'm going to get in trouble here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uber, Uber eats these types of things. They go, Oh, they're so genius. I'm like, it's so genius. We had de- like delivery pizza for as long as I can remember. It's just, you've got it now for more restaurants. Mm-hmm. And also you have to like pay them in tips because they're not being paid properly. Yeah. So it's basically a GoFundMe that these car, these, these tech guys are like, we're doing awesome. <laughs> They've just taken the money. It's just they, added convenience. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But and, yes, greater the cost. Te- yeah. The technology is cool. Sure. But it's like, you've, you've taken something that was kind of fine and you've enhanced it some degree, but you've really just taken all that money and kept it yourself. And still those people that are working that job, it's terrible. It's awful. They don't make a lot. They're only getting a little bit and they have to live off tips. It's kind of like, I would always laugh, like, you know, even being a student and you're working in a restaurant, you lived off the tips because the restaurant doesn't exist. It can't hire you. Totally. Uh, and I remember even as a young person going, how are we like, how does this work? I thought we we're a capitalist country. We have to literally, we have to support these people because they can't make it otherwise. And that says a lot too, that, that, that 100%. exists. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a tough conundrum too. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why investing and kind of built, like you said, building your own nest egg, not, being dependent on sort of a banker to manage your funds. <laughs> so I, you know, I think I, I, withdrew, I, I withdrew my mutual funds my second year of university because I was just like, I'm not going to leave it up to somebody no. else to take care of that. Like, that's no. my responsibility. So I think if there's like that added component where you, can, where you say, hey, I'm going to take responsibility for this, I might not get to that level anytime soon. But if I do plant the seeds right now, I'll set myself up in a position where I can kind of, end up eventually doing what I want. If that And you'll probably be more sustainable with your capital in the long term too. You're more like, they're less likely to be more chaotic and have the, uh, like the roller coaster rides where, uh, <laughs> well, like some I don't people, know. I don't know about the roller coaster rides. My portfolio <laughs> swings like a yo-yo, but, I'm no, I know. Yeah. but relatively over time, you know what I mean there, you know, it's at least there's a trajectory going forward where it's not necessarily just up and down. And at a point, it's just so down that you just no coming back out. Yes. And I mean, also it's, it solidifies, what do I believe in? Like you've got a vested interest and a curiosity to go, uh, I can make my, my money work for me. And I don't need a lot. Like that's the thing about the junior markets. It's kind of like those small cryptos. You can have asymmetric gains. You can make a lot. It can happen. Um, and it's, if, if you see the narrative and you go, okay, these guys are making sense with this whole mining talk, I, I get it. Where do I get started? How do I look at this? Um, and you take a longer picture at it. It is that you're taking more responsibility in your life. You're not being as passive. And these passive ETFs and mutual funds worked great when things were good. And you'd say, listen, I have no interest in the markets. I don't care if I can get eight or 10%. Great. I'll focus on my job. I'll focus on my life and my money is working for me. And that, that worked. And that had a lifespan. And I would say that's over uh, for a couple of reasons. One is the opportunities now uh, may not be in the broad spectrum markets. I mean, even if you look at Japan, those markets got tanked in the 80s yep. and yep. they're still not caught up, but mm-hmm. yet people made tons of money. It's just the top players changed and newer opportunities arose. So this is a stock pickers market uh, and that's where you know the opportunities are. But on top of that, and I don't mind even getting in more trouble, is that I would never put a penny <laughs> into the coffers of a Vanguard or a BlackRock. Uh, because yes, it's not their money. And people say this to me all the time. Yeah, that 10 trillion, it's not theirs. You've given them all of the power, the voting privileges and everything else. And they sit on the board of just about every fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. And they sit there and they tell you, they'll tell them how things are going to go. You're not going to get funding again. 
Uh, you're not going to get this. If you don't go along with this, this is what's going to happen. And there's been turnaround in, the, in those CEO and boardrooms. That is shocking. Uh, so the more you put into their pockets yeah. to invest for you, you've handed your power away. And that's, that's really, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I refer to that as economic power. Once you delegate your economic power to another individual to make those decisions, whether you're as a consumer, as a producer, as an investor, you've eliminated that power you, 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 you're born with. Yeah. And that's where you want to focus back. Empower the individual, allow yourself to be in control, learn to allocate, whether it's with a partner, whether it's with an advisor who doesn't control you, but gives you direction, whether it's something out there that gives you some sense of direction to know how to get capital, to allocate capital. This way, you know, you, you can find some balance and you can find meaning with your money. This way, you're more likely to be more careful. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to care more about your costs and how the world behaves at the same time. Yeah, because it's it's for someone who's in the market, it's their way of using some sort of target or milestone to, to see their growth. Just like an athlete would say, not everyone's going to become an NHL hockey player or an Olympian, but the journey is yeah. where the growth is. And people learn all these skills and, and all of these life lessons on that journey. And they get up and they train and they continue doing so even when they're older, because they're like, hey, I like to train. And there's auxiliary benefits. I mean, you've got good health, you're eating better, you're gonna have a longer life. I mean, there's lots of great benefits. And we just, people choose the different criteria as to test themselves on. And the market is no different. I mean, not everyone's gonna have stellar wins and have all this money. But if you do it in such a way that you're challenging yourself and you're curious, even if you're wrong, even if you put money into something and it doesn't work, it isn't the end of the world because it's like, listen, I put it towards something I believe in. I really like the management team. They said all the things, and it just didn't work. I mean, it's R and D. That, okay. that's, exactly. That's your edu yeah. That's your cost of tuition. That's yes. all it is. But that's, that's the it. learning that's curve. Reverting back to the learning curve. That is your learning curve. Yep. If you if you believe in the learning curve, you will grow and you will evolve and you will find a way to benefit in your own way. Yes, and don't go out of your means as well. Like you guys were saying, I always say this at the beginning. Risk I deal in the speculative markets. It's speculative stuff. That's where I live and breathe. I love it. Uh, but that's a portion of someone's assets. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, that also can be addictive as well because it is, it's cutting edge stuff. It's really exciting stuff. And I think if nothing else, if someone gets their hooks in and they see that and they go, Ooh, this is interesting. That lights a fire in someone's brain. That's hard to, to extinguish. And also dulls out a lot of the nonsense out there that like our brain is full of so much stuff that we don't need that we're bombarded every day. And if you could replace that with some of this and some of the curiosity and some of the excitement, I mean, your day is just going to be better. Every day will be a little bit better. Yeah. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this part up, but we'd love to have you back again. I think once uh, the, the dust settles in this crazy world, because we're, we're coming up on an hour and 30 here, Whoa. Uh, which, which is good. I mean, we, we, we could do this over like a dinner discussion as well, but uh, Andrew, where can the listeners find you? So come to the marketmindset.ca. Uh, that's the website. And there's lots there. We've, most of our stuff is free. We, we try to just, you know, encourage people and we've got lots of free educational pieces and, but our main driver is YouTube. So check out our YouTube. Uh, we do lots of live streams. We do lots of things like that. Send us in a message too. So, I mean, Andrew at the market mindset um, and, and then select views, get my what's up, uh, what's up, WhatsApp that I do <laughs> chat with every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, we like engagement and we like, this is what we like because uh, some people might see things very different or they might catch a news story that I find like really interesting. And uh, that, that engagement, it gets people fired up too. And that's what we're here for. We're trying to get people excited more than, than stressed.
I feed off of the energy in these conversations when we do these things. Yes. It, it gets me, it gets, it keeps me excited to keep doing, going, going. Well, I, I, I love it guys. And this is, and it was a real pleasure to spend this time. Likewise. It's great it was, to, it's great to talk to like-minded people in the space who actually have an appreciation for the, the macro data that's ultimately out there. Really appreciate you coming on here, Andrew. Thanks so much. It was, it was a real pleasure. And like, like I said, it was a lot of fun. And I look forward to chatting with you guys again soon. Of course, absolutely. Likewise. And we'll see you next time, guys, on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Ciao, guys. Ciao.